We want to welcome you to the Bible teaching ministry of Fellowship Bible Church, where our desire is to honor God by faithful obedience to His Word. If you want to understand the Bible better, please continue to listen as Pastor Matt Postiff explains and applies the biblical text one verse at a time. You can reach us with questions or for more teaching audio and print material at our website, fbcaa.org. You can also watch our services live at fbcaa.org slash live. We want to thank you for listening and pray that you will be edified. Join us now as Pastor Postiff opens God's Word. You're welcome this morning. If you are online, we're glad that you could join us. Uh, we have, uh, what, an inch to two inches of snow out here. Uh, not, not too bad, but welcome to winter kind of thing. And uh, Brother Jansen is going to be sharing the Word with us this morning again, so... You have your evangelism brain turned on here for his series. Let's, uh, let's have prayer this morning. I do want to uh, mention uh, we have an update from the Novak family, and uh, they have been able to uh, visit with uh, one of their uh, professors and now field consultant and visited with them for a little while. And uh, they want to ask us to pray for their culture and language learning. Um, Alex is on the hunt for a second language helper, so he's looking for additional input on that to accelerate his learning, right? <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a hard task if you can imagine dropping into a new country and you need to learn a new language to communicate. Uh, that's a big job. So let's pray for that as well. I have some other things I'll pray for in the morning service here. Father, as we come before you, I pray that you will write our minds into the direction you want them to be. And I'm thinking, Lord, of those things that distract us, those things in which we have fallen into temptation and sin, and we confess those to you this morning. Whatever they might be, we each know where your Spirit is working in us now to remind us and so that we would be in a state of mind where we could receive well the teaching of Scripture and be used of you. This morning also we intercede for our friends, the Novaks, and ask that you would help them with the uh, language learning culture and things in the country where they have gone to uh, try to be a testimony, a witness for Jesus Christ. And I pray that they'll be greatly successful in that endeavor. We want to thank you for uh, your love for them, for us, and for the, uh, the mission that you have assigned us to do both there and here. And as our brother comes to share with us this morning, help us to be sharpened in that mission, be able to accomplish it better in our own culture. Uh, sometimes we can feel like foreigners in our own land because the ways of thinking of the culture around us are so different than what we have uh, come to embrace as our worldview and philosophy and truth. So we'll thank you for all of that. We pray your blessing for safe passage on the roads for anybody coming yet today. There is uh, plenty of uh, hazard out there, so we pray for everyone will make it here and home safely. In Christ's name we ask, amen. Amen. All right, we welcome you all to uh, come in from library and hallway and all, and Jansen to come up and share the word with us this morning. We realized the coffee pot was not working properly, and so I drank a half a cup of extra strong coffee. So if we get through this lesson in 10 minutes, that's why. 
just kidding. <laughs> or if I start shaking, one or the other. Whatever comes first, I guess. Um, before we begin, I wanted to uh, just show you three books I found helpful. I haven't read, re read through all of them in their entirety yet, um, this one pretty much, but if you're looking for a few good books that are just uh, summaries, so to speak, of the gospel in different ways, methods of presentation, and the, <clears throat> the reasons for why we share the gospel, and just kind of that packaged kind of uh, material, there's three books here. One by Greg Gilbert, What is the Gospel?, and so uh, this is one I would recommend. Um, his view on the kingdom would be a little bit different than ours, so I would say read that portion carefully. And if you need a little help understanding that part, um, you know, come and see me. I can point out some of the, the, the ways in which he, he has a different view uh, if you don't recognize it yourself. Another one is Will Metzger's Tell the Truth, the Whole Gospel to the Whole Person by Whole People. Uh, so that's another one I would recommend. And then Mark Dever's The Gospel and Personal Evangelism. So three different books. Um, I think we may have at least one of these in the church library, but it is uh, ones that we can get for the library. Um, and uh, if you want to also get one a copy for yourself, um, you, know, you could do that. So I'll have these if you want to look at them later, and uh, you can do that. But this morning, I want to continue in a little kind of a sub-series that we've been doing in our overarching series on personal evangelism. And we began it last week, and it was uh, kind of this series on uh, Jesus preaching the gospel. And uh, two weeks ago, I guess it was now, because we had Brother James last time, um, we talked about the uh, instance with the Samaritan woman at the well and, uh, and looked at kind of the example of Christ as he shared the gospel with individual people on a one-on-one -on -one basis. And I made this assertion last time that Jesus did indeed preach the gospel on many different occasions to different kinds of people. We see this through the gospel accounts. And the notes that uh, were uploaded for that, and you can find them there on the website, uh, consisted of a list of passages that I compiled on all the instances in the Gospels where Jesus proclaimed the Gospel to either individuals, like the example we looked at with the Samaritan woman in John chapter 4, or small groups, so thinking 50 or less times like with, uh, the, with Matthew or Zacchaeus, where there was a small group where Jesus was, was teaching them and sitting with them. And then other instances where there were large groups, multitudes, hundreds of people that Jesus was teaching. And uh, you can see those lists of passages on those notes from two weeks ago uh, there on the website. And that's not an exhaustive list. That's just the time I had to compile some verses, and uh, you can add to that list. Uh, we then looked at one of those instances, the Samaritan woman at the well, and drew applications from Christ's example for our own evangelism. And I just want to remind us of a few of those applications and a few that I came up with as I reviewed those notes the example of Christ in that instance teaches us to, one, overlook social constructs that might keep us from sharing the gospel with someone that is viewed in a negative kind of fashion or an outcast of sorts. And so we learn from Christ's example that he, he broke that boundary, uh, that cultural kind of boundary, and spoke with a Samaritan woman, spoke with a woman, for one, uh, where Jews would not uh, do that in a public setting, but also spoke to a woman from... Uh, that was an outcast in her own society, and in the view of the Jews, even a further an outcast because she was a Samaritan. And so uh, Jesus sets a good example for us in that. 
Secondly, he sets an example of showing compassion and kindness in conversation. Even uh, looking at verses 11 and 12 where she asks what we might kind of consider a, a silly question. You know, are you greater than our father Jacob and, and his sons? And, of course, we're like, yes, <laughs> he is. And, uh, and, and Jesus doesn't rebuke her for that, for her ignorance. Rather, he continues on in, in compassion and kindness, pointing her to the truth. Thirdly, we can learn from his example to guide the conversation and keep it, the focus on the gospel, on the truth, uh, and not allow it to be steered in a different direction that will steer away from the truth and into their own kind of philosophy or opinions on things, but steering them to the truth and their need for Christ. Fourthly, we saw that, uh, that Christ gives, them, gives us a good example of how to show them their personal need for forgiveness of sins. Jesus got to the very heart of her sin, pointing out, and obviously in his omniscience, though we don't have that, but we can, we can kind of reveal in a person their own personal need for Christ and the, their own personal sin nature. It's not that there's just evil that generally exists out there. There is evil that exists in their heart and sin. And so Jesus points that out in her own life in a personal way. Finally, uh, and there's more applications, but one more I thought of is that Jesus sets an example of how to offer the good news of salvation through faith in Christ. He clearly at the end points to the fact that he is the Messiah. He is the one that uh, she knows that is coming into the world. And uh, he calls for her to, to worship in spirit and in truth. So that's what we looked at last time. But um, as I was thinking about this this. Uh, this example and, and just the general idea of Jesus preaching the gospel, we, we know that Jesus sets for us the supreme example of communicating the message of the gospel. No one could communicate it any more clearly and effectively than he could. However, I was reminded of the fact through a recent conversation with Pastor and, and a few others about this topic that there are some even within our own fundamental dispensational circles that when asked the question, did Jesus preach the gospel, some have admitted to not being sure if he did, while others have gone as far to say that Jesus did not preach the gospel of justification by faith. And that may hopefully make you sit there and scratch your head and think, how could someone say that? But people have said that. And uh, Pastor uh, and I were talking about this. There was a a pastor, a fundamental pastor, who, when asked this question, you know, did Jesus preach the gospel of justification by faith? Um, and he, as he thought about it, he concluded that no, he could not have been preaching that because, um, you know, Christ had not died on the cross yet, and, uh, you know, the church had not been established, Paul's message, you know, wasn't being given yet, those kind of things. And so he thought, you know, I guess he didn't. But I, I'm going to assert and make this statement that that's, that's not true. <laughs> and uh, I understand where he's coming from, and so we're going to talk about that for a moment. Uh, but the, the truth of the matter is Jesus did preach a gospel of justification by faith in himself. Faith in himself, faith in Jesus Christ. And so, but you might ask, okay, how, how could someone come to this conclusion? You know, in our minds, hopefully it sounds foolish, and, and maybe you're just not even aware that people have thought this way before, but some dispensationalists have concluded this because of 
they're, they're wanting to be, if I can put it, quote-unquote, good dispensationalists and think of, okay, you know, certain revelation was given at this time, and, you know, and further revelation about who Jesus was was given at a, a different time, a later time, and so uh, they want to keep that discontinuity between the different dispensations. And we're not here this morning to talk about necessarily dispensationalism and, and all of that, but that's kind of where they're coming from in a, in a little bit of a sense there. And uh, as I just said, so how could someone come to this conclusion, conclusion that Jesus did not preach the gospel? Well, it's often a result of people overemphasizing aspects of continuity or discontinuity in this, in this scenario between one dispensation and the next. And so pastor has been you know, speaking on this matter a little bit in Genesis, how you know, we have the dispensation of creation and then uh, human government, and then uh, the giving of the law. And so we think of these as kind of different dispensations or dispensing of revelation, new revelation to, to uh, humanity, to mankind. And so they have this kind of idea that, well, there, we have to maintain that the discontinuity between you know, the, the dispensation of law and of the church. And so if we, if we say that Jesus preached justification by faith, but you know, he didn't die until really right when the church began or right before, you know, how can we say that Jesus preached that kind of message if he lived himself under the law? And he did, right? I mean, he lived during the time of the law, although he came to fulfill it, we know, uh, the Gospels tell us. So it's often an overemphasizing of aspects of continuity or discontinuity between the dispensation of law and the church. And such overemphasis results in the conclusion that Jesus could not have been then preaching justification by faith alone because he preached primarily to Jews, which is true, who were under the law. And dispensationalism recognizes the distinction between Israel and the church. Furthermore, because the major nodal point from the dispensation of law to the church is the establishment of the church in Acts chapter 2, which is after Christ left, right? After he rose again and ascended. Some then conclude that Jesus must not have been preaching the gospel of justification by faith since the church had not yet been established. However, we can easily get ourselves mixed up and confused, I think like this pastor has, uh, who concluded that Jesus was not preaching this kind of message. If, one, we fail to distinguish in our terminology between the content or expression of faith unto salvation, and the means or condition, as we often say, of salvation. And then number two, if we fail to see that there is varying levels of continuity between one dispensation and the next, meaning there's not, not everything is thrown out when, one, you know, when the next dispensation comes. There is continuity between the dispensations. And one of those is the idea or the, the doctrine of grace. Um, I, w- I don't have this in my notes here, but in, in times past and even still, some people call the dispensation that we're in now the dispensation of grace, not necessarily the dispensation of the church. However, I think using the term church is a better way of thinking of it because it, it, uh, it mitigates from having this kind of confusion that, the dispensation of grace, or that grace only exists 
has existed since, you know, this, this dispensation uh, that we're in now. And that's not the fact. Grace has existed from, from all the way from the beginning. And so we maintain that that is one area of continuity between all of the dispensations, that grace uh, exists and that God is, is gracious and is saving people by his grace. And so I think that's why, to wrap that kind of idea up, that's why it's better to call this the dispensation of the church or some similar idea instead of the dispensation of grace so that we don't get confused about uh, when grace came into existence. So uh, I said that one of the things we need to make sure we don't, that we don't fail to do is make distinctions between the content of faith and the means of salvation. The means of, uh, or condition of salvation has been consistent in all of the dispensations, and that is this. And keep this in mind. This is the key point here even this morning. Salvation is always secured by grace through faith. That has always been the case from the very beginning, even under the law of Moses. People were not saved by making their sacrifices. People were not saved um, by obeying the law. People were saved, and their salvation was secured by grace through faith, even in the Old Testament times. And furthermore, it's always been based, even unwittingly sometimes, on the imputed righteousness of Christ. Abraham didn't know the specific details that Christ was going to die on a cross and that you know, he was going to atone for those sins. But whether he knew it or not, God was imputing the righteousness of Christ on him. We have to maintain that belief and understanding. <clears throat> James, or Genesis chapter 15, 6 tells us this, that Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. It would have been impossible, as I just said, for Abraham to piece together the details of God's redemptive plan to construct the virgin birth. That had not been revealed yet. The crucified and risen Christ, Abraham would have not been able to discern that or know that. Remember, even Jesus' own disciples did not have a complete picture of Christ's atoning work until after the fact. So how could we expect Abraham to have any you know, fuller understanding than the disciples? He couldn't have. However, we still maintain that Abraham was believing or exercising faith in the content which had, has, had been revealed to him at that time. Looking forward to the promised seed who would bring deliverance to the human race, Genesis 3.15, and as a result, the righteousness of Christ was imputed to Abraham. So everything that Abraham could know, he believed in at that time. So the content of faith may change over time as, uh, as more and more revelation is dispensed. There's more and more responsibility to believe in more. about And more, we put it this way, more of the specifics of the content of faith. And so Abraham believed into what he knew uh, about God. So we've asked then this kind of question at the beginning, did Jesus preach the gospel? Yes. The answer is Jesus did preach the gospel of justification by faith. Not everyone, though, before the time of Christ would have been able to say that they were believing into Christ, the, you know, the virgin, the one born of a virgin, crucified and risen, but they were believing in 
to God and into Christ and his work. The coming of Jesus Christ brought new revelation and with it more specific content of faith. Jesus preached justification by faith in himself or into himself. He called people to repentance from sin and to belief in him. Isn't that what Paul was preaching? Belief in Christ and, and, uh, and uh, into, into him, believing into him and repenting from sin. And it's kind of, it's uh, it boggles my mind, but I've, in my preparation for this, I was reading uh, some various articles, and there was, there was one where a theologian asked this question, did, uh, did Jesus preach Paul's message of faith, or believing in, believing in faith? And I think he got the question wrong. The question is, did Paul preach Jesus' message? Not that we're necessarily saying that you know, Jesus' words are more authoritative. We're not saying that. All of Scripture is authoritative. But the question, though, is, is kind of backwards. Did Paul preach Jesus' message? And the, and the answer is yes. And the answer to the vice, you know, vice versa is still yes. But you know, let's not put authority just on Paul's words because he lived during, you know, in the dispensation of the church. Paul did indeed preach Jesus' message of saving faith. The, in the time that we have remaining this morning, then, I want to take us through just passages in the Gospels where we see the content of, of, of faith being expressed, what Jesus was calling people to believe into and understand. So remember a couple weeks ago, or maybe a month ago, we looked at that handout, the fundamentals of the Gospel. You may then ask yourself, did Jesus preach on similar concepts? You know, if we're saying that Jesus and Paul preached the same message, then did Jesus preach some of these fundamental aspects of the gospel? And my, my, uh, my assertion this morning is, yes, he did. And we're going to look at a few of those concepts this morning in the gospels where Jesus was calling out what his mission was to do, which was to save sinners, uh, calling out that justification is by faith. Uh, he even expressed at times, even though to a limited number of people and specific people, that he was going to die, be buried, and be, uh, rise again. We're going to look at the fact that he does preach uh, regeneration, being born again. He does preach repentance and faith. He preaches the nature of saving faith. All these kind of fundamental ideas uh, that we share when uh, evangelizing. So uh, hold on to your, your bootstraps here. We're going to go quickly through these. And I'm not even going to necessarily turn. I have a lot of these here in my notes, but uh, you're welcome to turn in, in your Bible there. Uh, but for sake of time, I have them here in my notes. But even just beginning with John chapter 6, verses 39 and 40, Jesus says here, This is the will of the Father who sent me, that, all of, excuse me, that of all he has given me I should lose nothing, but should raise it up at the last day. And this is the will of him who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. So Jesus is calling people to believe in him. Similar to what Paul preaches, right? To believe in Christ, to believe into him for eternal life. John chapter 10, verse 9, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. And we'll go in and out and find pasture. 
maybe not as, uh, you know, he's using this more of an analogy to express a similar idea that there is only one way to be saved, and that is to believe into him, to believe in Christ. Uh, John 14, 6. I don't have it here in my notes, but you know that one well. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me, by believing into Christ. We have peace with God. Does, uh, does Jesus preach about sin and the, the need for sinners to believe in him? Yes, he does. Matthew chapter 9, verse 13. Jesus says, but go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. There's kind of two aspects here. He calls out the fact that uh, he's calling for sinners, and he's calling for sinners to repent. So we have both the sin and repentance uh, kind of aspects here in this, in this verse. Mark chapter 2, verse 17, when Jesus heard it, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners, again, to repentance. Matthew chapter 18, I know we're kind of going all around here, so maybe it's easier for you just to listen, or maybe you can mark down the verses and look at them up later. We'll have these notes up online later as well, too, but... Matthew chapter 18, verse 11, For the Son of Man has come to save that which was lost. Who's lost? Well, sinners. Those who are, have not been born again. Those who are in their sin, darkened in their hearts. Jesus is calling sinners to repentance. And, uh, you know, we could go uh, to look at more aspects of sin, and I don't have all these verses here, but we could go back to John chapter 4 like we just talked about, where Jesus calls out to this woman and reveals in her the sin that she has in her life. And there's other instances like that as well, where there's personal kind of confrontation about their sin. You may ask the question, you know, does Jesus then, does he talk about justification by faith? That's kind of the key tenet we're talking about here, and the answer is he did. Um, maybe a little bit more in an elusive manner, but uh, think about Luke chapter 17, verses 5 through 10. And this is a little longer passage, so if you want to turn there, you can follow along as I read. Luke chapter 17, verses 5 through 10. It says, And the apostles said to the Lord, Increase our faith. It's not the point of what we're looking at right now, but... uh, you call out to the Lord and ask for him to do that in your life? Increase my faith, Lord. So the Lord said, If you have faith as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, Be pulled up by the roots and be planted in the sea, and it would obey you. And which of you, having a servant plowing or tending sheep, will say to him when he has come in from the field, Come at once. And sit down to eat. But will he not rather say to him, Prepare something for my supper, and gird yourself and serve me, till I have eaten and drunk, and afterward you will eat and drink? Does he thank that servant because he did the things that were commanded him? I think not. Verse 10 So likewise, you, when you have done all those things which you are commanded, say, We are unprofitable servants. We have done what was our duty to do? 
And I think what Jesus is communicating in verse 10 here specifically when he says, we are unprofitable servants, it's the kind of people who recognize that what they're doing is simply their duty. They are unworthy. This is not gaining them merit by doing these things for their master. It's simply what they're supposed to be doing. And so it's not the deeds that are justifying them. They're simply just doing it because that's their duty. And what Jesus is conveying then is that no matter what you do for the master or no matter how much you fulfill the law, that's simply your duty. It's not the, the means of justification. It's, it's simply the duty. And we, and we understand that even in our, in our uh, salvation. We do what God has commanded us. Not because it's justifying us, but because, like these, uh, these servants, they, they recognize we are just unworthy servants doing what God has called us to do. He is the one that's justified us, and as a result, we obey him willingly. So I think even here in this passage of Luke chapter 17, Jesus is, is proclaiming this idea of justification by faith, that it's not the deeds that are justifying simply out of uh, duty, we do those things, and it is God who is the justifier. Another, uh, another passage to convey this idea, or that I think has this idea as well, is Luke chapter 18, verses 9 to 14. So just uh, one chapter later there. Another parable we see here, chapter, beginning in verse 9 of chapter 18. It says, also he spoke this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous. It's important to keep that in mind. So as we look at this parable, it helps us understand, okay, this is why Jesus is giving this parable. It's because there were some who trusted in themselves for being righteous, as being righteous. And these people despised others. And in verse 10, it says, Jesus begins the parable saying, two men went up to a temple, excuse me, to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this tax collector. You see the self-righteousness welling up in himself, being expressed through this prayer, it wasn't the prayer that made him self-righteous. He was self-righteous, and he was just expressing that in his prayer. And then he's going to tell you know, God how he is so righteous in verse 12. I fast twice, twice a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. And then in verse 13, And the tax collector, standing afar off, would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. So what kind of person is justified? The one who recognizes that he is a sinner. And God is merciful. Does that sound like Jesus preaches justification by faith alone? I think so. <laughs> Teaching his disciples and those who are listening that it is not our righteousness that justifies us. 
You may uh, ask the question, did Jesus ever reveal his death, burial, and resurrection before he actually died? And uh, we had, I led the men's study, I think it was two weeks ago, and we talked about this a little bit. But I just want to read a few of those passages because Jesus indeed, indeed did do that. Although we noticed in our study on Saturday that it was to a very limited audience. He wasn't just telling anyone about his death, burial, and resurrection. But he did reveal it before uh, it came to pass to fruition. In Matthew chapter 12, verse 40, uh, in kind of an elusive manner, he says he reveals about his death. And uh, in specifically even here... Uh, his time in the grave. It says, For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. It may have been a little bit hard for them to understand exactly what he meant by that. We fortunately have the, the uh, ability to look back based on his, his uh, death and burial and resurrection and see, oh, okay, that's, you know, that's what Jesus was speaking of. But I don't, think it, I don't think we should put it past them that they could not have understood it to some extent uh, what was going to happen. We know from Isaiah and other, and other Old Testament passages that uh, there was going to be a suffering servant and, uh, who was going to die. And so I think they could have made connections from those Old Testament passages to uh, what Jesus was, was uh, explaining and, and revealing to them. He gives uh, even more details about what's going to happen in Matthew chapter 16, verse 21, where he says, From that time Jesus began to show his disciples, so we see here it's a limited audience, but still there's an audience to which he's teaching them these things. Uh, From that time Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised the third day pretty clear and specific uh, details that Jesus gives. Another one, Matthew 17, verse 12, But I say to you that Elijah has come already, and they did not know him, but did to him whatever they wished. Likewise, the Son of Man is also about to suffer at their hands. Matthew 17, 23, And they will kill him, and the third day he will be raised up. And they, that is, uh, the disciples, were exceedingly sorrowful. Matthew 20, 18 and 19, Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests and to the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him to the Gentiles to mock and to scourge and to crucify. And the third day he will rise again. Matthew 26, 32, But after I have been raised, I will go before you to Galilee. Um. Later, after the resurrection, uh, this is actually the, uh, I believe it's the Pharisees that are saying this in Matthew 27, verse 63. Sir, we remember that while he was still alive, how that deceiver, man, calling Christ a deceiver, said, after three days, I will rise. So even the Pharisees, the scribes, the unbelieving ones, had heard that Jesus proclaimed, they, even with their own ears, that he will rise again. John chapter 3, verse 14, John 3, 14 says, As Moses lifted up the servant, excuse me, up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. John 8, 28, 
Then Jesus said to them, When you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he, and that I do nothing of myself, but as my Father taught me, I speak these things. And then one final verse here in this section on the death, burial, and resurrection, John 12, 30-33. Jesus answered and said, This voice did not come because of me, but for your sake. Now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world, world will be cast out. And I, if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all peoples to myself. And that, even as elusive as it is there, about him being lifted up from the earth, uh, conveys the idea that Christ will be lifted up on a, on a cross, will be crucified, and by that, people will be drawn to himself, believing in Christ, believing in the work of Christ. So we've covered some of these fundamental ideas of the gospel concerning sin, justification by faith, his death, burial, and resurrection, believing into Christ. Uh, what about regeneration? Does Christ speak about that, being born again? Well, yes, he does. The all-familiar interaction and discourse with Nicodemus in John chapter 3, verse 3, Jesus answered and said to him, that is Nicodemus, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. I think another uh, verse, too, that conveys this idea, although not quite uh, as explicit is John at chapter 8 verse 23 then Jesus spoke to them again saying I am the light of the world he who follows me shall not walk in darkness but have the light of life the light will come into the heart they will be born again they will see they will believe and they will be given new life what about repentance and faith does Christ preach that Yes, he does, indeed. Mark chapter 1, verses 14 and 15. Now after John was put in prison, Jesus came to Galilee preaching the gospel of God. Excuse me, preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God. Now, pastors taught on this many times, and so I'm not going to say much more than this. When it talks about the kingdom of God or the kingdom of Christ or the kingdom of heaven, uh, they're all one and the same. And even think about it this way. When he says the gospel of the kingdom of God, that is the gospel of salvation. That is what that is. Christ is not preaching one gospel about the kingdom and Paul preaching another gospel of salvation. It is one and the same. It is the same idea. It's synonymous. Keep that in mind. Ingrain that in your mind as you read um, through that. And you might then ask us, well, why, why then do we not say we preach the kingdom or the gospel of the kingdom of God. Well, let me, uh, let me uh, exhort you to do this. Preach that. Preach that Christ is coming again and going to establish his kingdom. Preach to them and to share with them how their personal salvation uh, relates to the kingdom of God. It is not just about personal salvation. Yes, that is the means of entrance into the kingdom of God. It's, that's kind of the door, but it doesn't end at their personal salvation. There is more to it than that. And so, if you were to ask me, do, I, do we preach the kingdom of God? Yes, we do. In our, in our evangelism, we should be preaching the kingdom of God and the personal response that it requires of them. 
All right, Mark chapter 1, verse 14 and 15. Jesus came to Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God and saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Luke 13, 3 through 5, And Jesus answered and said to them, Do you suppose that these Galileans were worse sinners than all other Galileans because they suffered such things? And uh, I think the context of here is uh, when uh, there was a tower that fell, killing many people. And so, you know, the, the disciples are saying, you know, were they sinners? Why, why were they judged in this way? Why, why did this catastrophe happen to them? And he says, I tell you, no, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Or those 18 on whom the tower of uh, Siloam fell and killed them, do you think that they were worse sinners than all other men who dwelt in Jerusalem? I tell you, no, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Well, what I would add to that, not trying to add to Christ's words, but just fuller explanation is perish in your sin and receive your just condemnation. All right, we've got to keep moving here. John chapter 2, verse 11. This uh, beginning of signs Jesus did in Cana of Galilee and manifested his glory and his disciples believed in him. They expressed faith in Christ. John chapter 4, verse 42. Then they said to the woman, now we believe. This is uh, later on in the story of the Samaritan woman where she you know, calls the people to come and listen to him. And they say, now we believe not because of what you said, for we ourselves have heard him, and we know that this is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. Does that sound like faith? Expression of faith? I think it does. All right, we're out of time this morning, and so maybe we'll look a little bit more at this later, but I want to just give these concluding thoughts that Jesus did not come to proclaim a message that was exclusively for the Jews that has no application in this age. We've seen that today, I hope, through the passages that we've read and studied and thought on. He came to seek and to save the lost, Matthew 9.13. He came so the world through him might be saved, John 3.17. He proclaimed the saving gospel, not merely a manifesto for a future age. This wasn't just to the Jews or just about the future kingdom, uh, like often people think about when they think of the Sermon on the Mount. Oh, that's, that's not for us. That's for, you know, uh, the future age, uh, you know, how we are to live in the kingdom. Well, if that's how we're supposed to be living in the kingdom, that's how we are supposed to be living now as well, as citizens of that future kingdom. So he, he proclaimed a saving gospel of saving faith in him, not just a message for the future or just for the Jews. His gospel is the only message we are to preach today. As we said earlier, the message that Paul preached was the message of Christ. And so our message to the, today is the same as Christ's. It's the same as Paul's. It's a message of saving faith in Christ alone, by his grace through faith. So don't let anyone get you all confused when they talk about Jesus' message and Paul's message or the, the discontinuity between these dispensations. Grace has always existed, and the way means of securing uh, salvation is through faith in Christ 
we have that full uh, revelation of content today of what we are called to believe into. We are called, simply to put it this way, we are called to believe in more than what Abraham understood because we have seen and we read through the word of God all that Christ has done for us. And so we are called to, to, uh, to believe into all of that. Let's close in prayer this morning. Heavenly Father, pray that uh, our time this morning, though it is more just a reading through scriptures, we, <laughs> your word is more powerful than anything that I could say. And so we look to that for understanding and clarification on this matter. May we not be confused like some have, uh, maybe some just ignorantly or just not thinking critically enough, so we don't want to be too critical of them. But, Lord, may we not be so confused as to not recognize that uh, it has always been by your grace that we are saved through faith, Lord. Like Abraham, uh, like the other Old Testament characters, like the disciples, like those during the time of Jesus' ministry, and like those today who you are drawing to yourself. May we be clear in our gospel presentation and proclamation of these matters. May we uh, be able to do it in a clear and full manner. By your help, Lord, trusting your spirit to work. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. All right, enjoy some time of fellowship, and uh, we'll be back here together at 1045. Thank you.